We continue our Lenten homily series on living out the sacrament of baptism. We began on Ash Wednesday kind of learning how to play offense um, against the devil in the sense that we want to be, as baptized members of Christ faithful, holy. We put on and become Christ. And so the three parts of man, his intellect, his will, and his appetites all must be purified by prayer, by almsgiving, and by fasting. And then last week we heard in the temptations of the desert how the devil attacks the will um, by tempting Jesus with the kingdoms of the earth, attacks the intellect by Jesus trying to, uh, by getting Jesus to throw himself down from the temple, and the appetites by tempting Jesus to turn a stone into bread, and sort of how to play defense against those temptations, recognizing the places in which we face those temptations. And now we are going to talk about the necessary desire for perfection if we are to put on Christ, if we are to become Christ, living out our baptism. Lead a couple of men's groups here that students are always welcome to attend that are on Thursday and Friday mornings at 6.30 a.m. And one of the students this week said something that was very profound and very simple. That is, I've been wrestling with this sin for so long and I realized this whole time I was trying to do this technique or carry out this practice whenever Jesus just simply desired my heart. Whenever simply Jesus desired my heart. And so we hear in this gospel and in the preface at Mass that Jesus transfigures himself for the disciples so that they can be strengthened to bear the scandal of the cross. So they may be strengthened to bear the scandal of the cross. In other words, it's not enough, and we will not be able to overcome our sinfulness and those reasons why we might hate ourselves just simply because I want to rid this bad habit during Lent. It's not enough. What must be done to overcome the scandal of the cross, to overcome the problem of sin and death, is the desire for transfiguration, the desire for a whole transformation of my heart and my life to become like Jesus Christ. And so I want to point out the characteristics of Jesus' transformation to spark that desire for holiness, and then six ways to practically implement that desire for holiness. There are two characteristics of Jesus' transfiguration. The first, his face shines like the sun. His face radiates. We know, like even on a philosophical level, a thing is beautiful, a thing radiates, a thing is attractive whenever it's in harmony. Like the oak tree in front of the cathedral just right down the road is beautiful. Why? Because it 
It does what oak trees are supposed to do. It's wide, it provides large shade, it's old, it's unique, it's beautiful, it's harmonious. If you listen to Beethoven play piano, and then if I were to go bang on keys, one would be more beautiful than the other. Why? Because one has harmony, it has order, it has a direction. Because man is made for God, it's our very makeup, everything in the fabric of our being points towards God. Man is finally beautiful. He radiates whenever he points all of his energies towards becoming holy. Towards becoming holy. We know that if we then twist that, have loves that are higher than our love for God. What ends up happening is that, as St. Augustine says, we are incurvatus est. We are curved inward in on ourselves. A person who is curved inward on themselves is not able to radiate outward from themselves. And so is not able to show to the world the glory of God. Christ, who makes a full gift of himself to the Father from all eternity, rightly radiates outward and shows his beauty and his glory. And this is our desire as well, that we may simply radiate. This is why whenever John Paul II be going down, uh, you know, doing his little, his little waves, his little like royal papal waves, around the Vatican, you have atheists come by and simply look at him and be immediately converted. Why? Because they saw someone beautiful and they saw what they were supposed to look like and they just simply knew in a glance what that was. And so Christ desires us to radiate, but we can only radiate whenever our loves are rightly ordered. Whenever Christ truly, as one of our students pointed out, just possesses my heart. That's the first point. And that has to do with our own desire. The second, we desire so badly, I know, in so many different ways, for some of our family and friends to know Jesus. The second aspect of Jesus' transfiguration is that his clothes become white as snow. His clothes become white as snow. The traditional interpretation of that is that Jesus clothes or ornaments himself with his saints. He clothes himself with his saints. It's amazing what clothes can do and like the image that it puts out the way that we interact with others. If I uh, like go out or whatever just to like grab Whataburger at 10.30 at night because, like, I haven't eaten, and I'm just wearing, like, shorts and, like, and a T-shirt and, like, drive through. The difference between that and going out in clerics, the interaction is totally different. I'm the same person, but my clothes tell the other person that, whoa, okay, there's something totally different here. Something that is hidden in me is now manifested by a white square on my neck and black sleeves. Christ's clothes, his saints, make the difference for how the world perceives him. 
if the only point of contact that our family has had is their um, Catholic school upbringing, their CCD program, and their 60 minutes of exposure at Sunday Mass, then Christ is probably wearing some clothes from Goodwill. He's not wearing good ones. But if we clothe Christ with our own holiness, that desire to radiate, that clothes that is white as snow, as the Gospel says, all of a sudden Christ looks way more appealing. Christ doesn't look shabby or homeless, but radiant. And uh, there's a certain magnetism that draws us to him. We know this again through the lives of John Paul II, through the lives of those holy around us, that there is something that can make Christ pop whenever we see someone who is truly holy. If you desire to radiate, order your loves rightly, and if you desire your family or friends to come to know Christ, then desire to be Christ's clothes and to show him to the world. And so I just want to give six different dispositions, qualities, or actions to help us manifest that desire for perfection, that desire that must be able to propel us to embrace the cross. Because we know that of the three who were brought up that mountain, Peter, James, and John, only one of them is able to endure the scandal of the cross. Peter and James aren't. They have, they well wish. Peter says, let us build three tents. It is good that we are here. And we don't hear anything from James, but he's constantly categorizing the gospel as this one person who, you know, wants to bring down fire and desires to, you know, um, have the victory of the Lord. But John is someone who, though silent, at the Last Supper, lays his head on the breast of the Savior. That is, he is the one who is constantly contemplating all of these things, so much so that he is able to follow Jesus to the cross. And so let's explore the desires of John for a moment and how that we can um, bear the scandal of the cross to be able to be holy even whenever it's hard. Our first desire for perfection should be this, is that it's supernatural. It's above my nature. So often we begin, Lent, we begin our desire for holiness saying, I have this thing about myself, I hate it, I'm going to beat it. That's not supernatural, that is natural. It comes from my own nature. It's not motivated by the love of God. If it is, this natural desire, just like I have this quality about myself, I hate it. That is the crack of the spiritual life. It burns for a moment, and then after a while, we're done. We're burnt out, and we feel even worse than before. Secondly, the desire should not only be supernatural, but it should be profoundly humble. Profoundly humble that we are not surprised by our weaknesses. We are always asking for the grace. We have heard it said to us, God 
will never give you a cross that you cannot handle. That's not true. Council of Trent says that whenever man cannot satisfy the law of God, at that moment, he begs God for the grace to be able to satisfy the law. We are put in positions all the time where we're just simply not able to follow the commands of God by our own strength. And that is the moment in which we exercise humility and we trust in the Lord's grace. Thirdly, it should be filled with confidence. Supernatural, humble, but confident, not because I've tried to get back on this holiness horse time and time again, and I know that I'm going to fail. No, I'm confident because I'm confident in the Lord's grace. Because now, in those times of difficulty, whenever the scandal of the cross comes, I'm able to lean upon him. And I'm confident in his grace, not in my own ability. And I'm supremely confident, not because I look at my own weaknesses, like, yeah, I know my own tendencies, I know that I can't be a saint. No, I'm supremely confident because in faith, I trust who God says that I am, not how I identify myself to be in my own weaknesses. I trust in confidence that God desires me to be a saint, and that his desire is greater than my own perception of myself. Fourthly, while his desire is supernatural, coming from God, it is humble, leaning upon him, it is confident in the Lord's work. It should be the predominant desire. And this goes back to a desire for holiness. Like my desire for holiness can't be the same desire that I have to go to dinner or like watch the Super Bowl. Like they can't be like on the same level. If it is, then again, we're having that inward turning and we are rejecting that desire to be radiant. Whenever the desire for holiness is above all other things, that is whenever we are able to radiate because we are in harmony again, like that Beethoven piece with direction because this is the end for which we are made. Fifthly, while the desire is humble, supernatural, confident, predominant, it is constant. It does not get out of whack when I go on vacation. It does not get out of whack whenever finals are coming. It does not get out of whack whenever the weekend hits. It does not get out of whack when I'm around my friends who are not striving for holiness. It is constant, endures the scandal of the cross because we desire for God to be with us in all things. It does not fade. Because our loves are rightly ordered. They are in sync. And whenever we say, you know what, i got to take a break from this holiness thing. It's just too hard. What we are saying is that I'm made for an end other than God. What I'm really made for is a six-pack of Coors Banquet beer or something. There's some other end that I'm putting ahead of God. And then, sixthly, while the desire is supernatural, humble, confident, predominant, and is constant, it is practical and efficacious. That we have to be able to make practical resolutions. Again, Peter's well-wishing of building three tents led him to deny three times the Savior. 
It doesn't well-wish and stay within the 60-minute course of the Mass or right after I receive Holy Communion. It is practical and efficacious. The moment that Jesus takes them up to the mountain to be transfigured, he does not just shoo them down the mountain. No, he leads them down the mountain, and immediately there are people begging for Jesus to be healed and for Jesus to preach. There is immediate action that must be taken. In living out the law, we then go back up the mountain of grace to desire grace because we recognize that it's hard and that I need to be strengthened by the radiant face of Jesus the Savior. So we ask that Jesus can instill in us that deep and beautiful desire to be beautiful, to be radiant, to be his clothes. For our own salvation, our own harmony, our own end, and for the salvation of others that they may see Jesus in his radiant glory.